Order, please, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, as the House will be in recess next week, I'm sure the colleagues will join me in looking ahead to Armistice Day and remembering those men and women who have served and lost their lives in the service of this country. We also thank the members of our armed forces who continue to do so today. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Rupert. The Prime Minister has been busy preaching urgency this week at COP26. I hope he caught up with his sleep. <laughs> but when he sits down with his grandchildren one day and they ask, what did you do that week at COP26? Would he be able to undertake one action in his gift that would have an immediate impact? Would he be consistent with what he's always said and done and take on the biggest emitter of CO2 in the whole of Europe that greedily, voraciously wants more? Will he ditch his predecessors damaging daft, pre-levelling up, pre-Zoom, pre-90% drop in demand and have a fresh vote in this House to kill off the third runway at Heathrow? Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, what this government is going to do, uh, rather than taking uh, steps to uh, damage the economy of of this country, what we are going to do, which is what Labour would do, uh, what we are going to do is get to to net zero aviation, uh, Mr Speaker. That's the future uh, for this country. Clean, green aviation. Uh, and, and, and by the way, I think that we have a, that is, has every chance of arriving a lot earlier, Mr. Speaker, than a third runway at Heathrow. James Wilde. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I share my right honourable friend's commitment to build back better, to build back greener, and to level up. And I have a project that will deliver on all those things rebuilding the ageing Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn. I've shown him the pictures of the 200 props holding up its decaying roof. So will the Prime Minister make the Queen Elizabeth one of the eight new schemes giving people in Norfolk, Lincolnshire and Cambridgeshire the hospital they need? Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I know that my honourable friend does a huge amount of work for his constituents. I have seen the, the pictures that, that uh, he describes, and I can tell him that uh, the application is in uh, from the hospital in his constituency. It is under consideration, and uh, we aim to make our final decision in the spring of next year. We now come to the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party, Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I share the opening words from the Prime Minister regarding our armed forces and the tremendous work they do, and also send my best wishes to all those recovering in Salisbury, and give our sincere thanks to the emergency services that responded on that day. And I'd also like to wish all those celebrating tomorrow a happy and peaceful Diwali. Now, let me start with something on which there should be agreement across all sides of the House. The independent standards process found that a member broke the rules on paid lobbying. Surely the Prime Minister accepts that this is and should be a serious offence. Yet we have seen reports that he will respond by scrapping the independent process and overturning its verdict. In no other profession in our country could someone be found guilty by an independent process and just have their mates vote them back into the job? Surely, surely the Prime Minister and his government are not going to do that today. 
No, Mr Speaker, of course we're not going to do that, because uh, paid lobbying, Mr Speaker, paid advocacy in this House is wrong. And uh, let me make absolutely no bones about that. And members, members who are found guilty of that should apologise and uh, pay the necessary penalties, uh, Mr Speaker. But that is not the issue in this, in this case or this vote that is before us today. It is not. The issue in this case, which involved with the issues in this case, which involved a serious family tragedy, Mr. Speaker, is whether a member of this House had a fair opportunity to make representations in this case, or whether as a ma- and whether as a matter of nat- natural justice, our procedures in this House allow for proper appeal, Mr. Speaker. And that I thought that I think is something that should be of interest to members across this House, Mr Speaker, and should be approached properly in a spirit of moderation and compassion, Mr Speaker. Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, let me put this to him simply. If it was a police officer, a teacher, a doctor, we would expect... We would expect the independent process to be followed and not changed after the verdict. It's one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us. Mr Speaker, when a Conservative member was found guilty of sexual harassment but let off on a loophole, they said the rules couldn't be changed after the event. So they can't change the rules to stop sexual harassment, but they can change the rules to allow cash for access. So why is the Prime Minister making it up as he goes along? Uh, Mr Speaker, all the professions that she mentions have a right of appeal, uh, Mr Speaker. and that is what the, that is what the House needs to needs to consider. And may I respectfully say to her that I, I believe that she needs to focus, instead of playing politics on on this issue, which is what the, which is what they which is what they are doing. I think that she needs to consider the procedures of this House in a spirit of fairness, Mr. Speaker. And, in, and we in, on this side of the House, instead of playing politics, we are getting on with delivering on the people's priorities, Mr. Speaker. Forty more hospitals, twenty thousand more police officers, and wages up, growth up and jobs up across this country. Those are our priorities. Order. 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 Mr Perkins, I don't want to say any more of that either. Right. Mr Speaker, this isn't about playing politics in this place. This is about playing by the rules. And as we can see, it's one rule for everybody else and one rule for the Conservatives. When they break the rules, Mr Speaker, they just remake the rules. And I know that Donald Trump is the Prime Minister's hero, but I say to the Prime Minister, I say to the Prime Minister, in all seriousness, he should learn the lessons that if you keep cheating the public, it catches up with you in the end. Because while they're wallowing in sleaze, the rest of the country faces higher bills, rising costs and damaging tax rises. So I ask the Prime Minister, can he tell us what is the projected tax increase per household over the next five years? Uh, 
Mr. Speaker, what I can tell her is that uh, the recent budget, what the recent budget did was take cash from those who can afford uh, to pay the most, and it had huge and had very substantial tax cuts for the hardest working and poorest families in this country. We cut £1,000, Mr. Speaker, with the universal credit taper relief cut for, the, for, for hard-working families in this country. Two million families had a £1,000 tax cut, and we're lifting the living wage across the whole country, Mr. Speaker. And what we are also doing, Mr. Speaker, is ensuring that this country gets on with a high wage, high skill, jobs led recovery. And never let it be forgotten that if we listened to them, we would have none of those things, Mr. Speaker, because we'd still be in lockdown. Mr Speaker, I think he missed out the number, so let me help him out. The Resolution Foundation found that by 2026, taxes will be £3,000 more per household since he took office. My constituents and his constituents are feeling the pinch, and they're worried about Christmas as well, Mr Speaker. Their bills are going up every week, and the budget did nothing to help them. So can the Prime Minister tell them... How much was the tax cut that he gave to the banks instead? Mr Speaker, as she knows very well, it is the the banks and the bankers who are paying far more proportionally uh, as a result of our tax measures to cover the cost of the NHS. And and actually, it's a very moot point, because the £36 billion uh, came from... 50% of it comes from the the uh, the 14% who are the richest in this country, Mr Speaker, overwhelmingly from the banks and financial services industry who who can pay the most. And the astonishing thing, Mr Speaker, is when it came... When it, came to, when it came to voting for that £36 billion increase in 48 new hospitals, in 50,000 more nurses, in looking after our public services, they voted against it, Mr Speaker. Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, according to the Prime Minister's own budget documents, it was £4 billion pounds in tax cuts to the bankers and £3,000 of tax rises per household. Good news for the donors who gave his party half a million pounds. His bank got a bonus of nearly £8 million, but not so good news for the rest of us, Mr Speaker. Now, Mr Speaker, this month, as the Prime Minister said, we remember and celebrate all those who serve our great country and all those who have lost their lives leaving behind loved ones and those who have sustained life-changing injuries and live every day with the consequences of their sacrifice. Yet hidden in the small print of the budget was a billion-pound cut to -to day-to-day defence spending. So, Mr Speaker... Will our servicemen and women face pay cuts or will there be fewer of them with less support? Mr Speaker, I think it's quite incredible that we're now hearing this from the the Labour Party uh, when uh, they would have pulled us out of of NATO and and, uh, and actually, and I think the the, the right honourable lady actually wanted to abolish the army. What you've you've got, 
She wanted to abolish the army for the woman sitting next to her, Mr Speaker. Uh, what, what you've got in this government is a spending on, on defence, uh, which is the highest since the Cold War, the biggest uplift uh, since the Cold War, and uh, an increase that has restored confidence in this country, around the world, in our ability to defend not just our own shores, but to defend our friends and partners as well. And that is what this government is doing. Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, he knows that I asked him about the annual defence budget, which his own budget documents show will drop by £1.3 billion. And I hear the Prime Minister's fine words, I'm from a military family myself, but I won't take party political lectures from him because too often the government's actions don't match their words. Mr Speaker, I think of my constituent who fought in Afghanistan and yet was threatened with sanctions because he was unable to physically travel miles to the nearest DWP office. The Prime Minister's tax cut for short-haul flights last week cost £30 million. That is 50% more than the government spends on supporting veterans' mental health each year. The charity... Combat Stress has lost £6 million in funding this year, even as their calls to their helpline have doubled. So will the Prime Minister match our proposal to reinvest the £35 million saved from cancelled MOD contracts to support our veterans that surely deserve it? Mr Speaker, it's because we've been able to run a strong economy and take our economy out of lockdown that we've been able to invest massively in the NHS. We've been able to lift spending on defence to, to record levels and to keep supporting our fantastic public services. That is what this government is able to do, Mr Speaker. And I, I must say I enjoy my conversations with her in spite of the insults that she, uh, the party political points that she, uh, she directs it uh, towards us, Mr Speaker. And I may say, without, I don't want to cause any further dissension in the, in, the benches, in the benches opposite. But I think you all agree she has about a, a gigawatt more energy, Mr Speaker, than the right honourable gentleman, her friend, from Hope and, 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 and some back. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. But it's, a, but, I, but it's the same, it's the same old Labour. No plan, no ideas. We're getting on, Mr Speaker, with delivering on the people's priorities. We're taking this country forward. Growth up, jobs up, wages up, productivity up. All they do, Mr Speaker, is play politics while we deliver. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and can I thank the Prime Minister and the Government for securing our fantastic Sukhontrend levelling up funding. If we're to truly level up opportunities and access to opportunities in Stoke-on-Trent, we must also improve our poor public transport. So would my right honourable friend agree to look at the possibility for bus franchising in the potteries? Uh, As my honourable friend knows, I'm a fanatic about buses. I will will, will urge urge him uh, to to take up his... We're putting £1.2 more into into bus funding, and I know that Stoke-on-Trent has applied, but can I suggest that he takes his... uh, his suggestion up uh, immediately with, uh, with uh, uh, my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Transport. You come to SMP's first person. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I also, as we look forward to Remembrance Sunday, commend those that, that served and the, the military services that protect all of us and security services for the job that they continue to do. Uh, Mr Speaker, Sir David Attenborough's powerful opening statement to COP26 told us that the journey to net zero means we must recapture 
billions of tonnes of carbon from the air. The Committee on Climate Change has been clear that carbon capture and storage is a necessity, not an option, to achieve the planet's net zero targets. This week, Scotland's world-leading climate targets have received widespread praise from, amongst others, the UN Secretary-General. Scotland is finding partners across the world to tackle the climate emergency. But in Westminster, there isn't even a willing partner to deliver the carbon capture project that was long promised. Scotland's North East has now been waiting weeks for a clear reason to exactly why the Scottish cluster bid was rejected. There have been no clear answers, not even clear excuses. So maybe the Prime Minister will answer the simple question. Does he know exactly how much of the UK's CO2 storage the Scottish cluster could deliver? Mr Speaker, I'm a massive enthusiast for for carbon capture and storage around the whole of the UK. The Acorn project in in Aberdeen remains, as he knows, on the the reserve list. He should not give up. We will will come back to this. And, of course, we want to make sure that we have a fantastic uh, fantastic industry generating uh, clean hydrogen around the country. He should should not despair. In the meantime, uh, we are supporting amazing Scottish plans uh, to get clean energy uh, from wind, from, uh, from hydrogen, from all sorts of means, Mr Speaker, and I, I may say I want to thank the people of Scotland and I want to thank the people of Glasgow uh, for the way they, they helped to produce so far what I think has been a fantastically well-organised summit. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, it's bad enough that the Prime Minister rejected the Scottish cluster a week before COP, but what's worse, he clearly doesn't even know or understand what his government was rejecting. So let me tell him. The Scottish cluster bid would have stored 30% of the UK's CO2 emissions and it would have supported the creation of around 20,000 jobs in green industries. It was by far and away the best bid, Prime Minister. If this decision was based on science alone, it would have been approved on the spot. It is obvious that this was a political decision in Westminster to reject it. With days left at the COP summit, Will the Prime Minister now reverse his government's massive own goal when it rejected the Scottish cluster? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm trying to encourage the right honourable gentleman to be a little bit less gloomy uh, about the the prospects of uh, of this initiative. I I understand exactly what he says. What we're doing is working with the Scottish Government, and I I thank the Scottish Government for their cooperation and all the support they gave to COP as well in the last uh, few days and weeks and and what they're uh, they're doing. We will come back to this, uh, Mr Speaker. But let us... us, What I I may say is that I think... Uh, if, uh, what I think is, is working well is the spirit of cooperation uh, between, uh, between all levels of government in this country, and what doesn't work is confrontation. Simon Jupp. Thank you, Mr Speaker. House prices are rising in East Devon, with the dream of home ownership becoming out of reach for too many local people. New build developments must be affordable, with protections in place to restrict the number of properties becoming second homes. The loophole which allows second homeowners to avoid paying council tax should be closed quickly to help local authorities. Will the Prime Minister meet with me and colleagues from across the South West to discuss this growing crisis across our region? 
Yeah. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I know how strongly my honourable friend and other colleagues across the South West feel about this, this issue, and that's why uh, we've legislated to introduce higher rates of stamp duty on second homes, and we will ensure that only genuine holiday businesses can access small business rate relief, Mr. Speaker. Uh, but I'm happy, certainly, to, to meet with colleagues to discuss what further we may do to ensure that local people get the homes they need. Speaker, Scotland is vital for the UK's energy needs, both currently and in the future. It's also vital for future offshore capabilities and other low-carbon and renewable energies. Not my words, but those of the Minister for Energy confirming that it is the rest of the UK that is dependent on Scotland, not the other way round. Does the Prime Minister not realise that his failure to invest in carbon capture and storage at St Fergus and Grangemouth and feeding the potential at Mossmorin in my constituency is regarded as an act of deliberate economic vandalism, casting himself less as Bond and more as Blofeld the villain for all of the COP26 world to see? Mr Speaker, what the COP26 world can see is the astonishing achievements uh, of Scotland and the rest of the UK uh, in developing clean energy sources. And, and I've said to the, to the right honourable gentleman, here, the, the leader of his party in, in Westminster, that uh, we will come back to, to the Aberdeen... Uh, the Aberdeen uh, sorry, forgive me, he's a member of a different party. Forgive me. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's actually the same agenda, uh, though, Mr Speaker. Uh, we will come back to this, and uh, what, uh, what I, f- I found encouraging about the last few days is the spirit of cooperation and joint enterprise that I now detect that will enable us to deliver massive carbon cuts across this whole country. Peter Gibbs. Thank you, Mr yeah. Speaker. Darlington Station is receiving £105 million pounds thanks to this government's plans to make it HS2 ready. I want to make sure that Darlington benefits from high-speed rail. So will my right honourable friend meet with myself and regional colleagues to discuss the eastern leg of HS2 and reopening the Leam side line to allow the whole region to be better connected? Yeah. Uh, my, my honourable friend, I thank, my, and I, I'm a, I, I, I thank you for everything he's doing for Darlington, uh, and uh, he should wait for the, in, the integrated rail plan to come out. But in the meantime, uh, we are upgrading... Uh, Darlington Station. There are plans in place, and my uh, right honourable friend, the Chancellor, announced £310 million of funding over the next five years to transform local transport networks in the Tees Valley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister says he is a fanatic on, for, of buses, but what about trains, and not just in Darlington? But the mention of the Leamside uh, Line, because last Wednesday I was notified that a joint bid to reinstate the mothballed Leamside Line had not been successful in attracting the next stage of the feasibility funding from the Government as part of the Restoring Your, Your Railway Fund. So can I ask the Prime Minister, what specific plans does the Government have to invest in the North East in places like Gateshead and South Tyneside in my constituency, and when is he going to get serious about levelling up in our communities instead of just using the term as a meaningless populist slogan. Yeah. Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, again, she must wait for the integrated rail plan, but the, the North East uh, will be the beneficiary of the biggest, uh, of the biggest investment in our, our rail infrastructure beyond HS2 uh, that we've seen for a century. About £96 billion more that we are going to be putting in. And, uh, and, I, and what we want is we, we want the local authorities, we want the regional authorities to work with us to ensure that we promote the projects that the people really want. Andrew Lutz. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. (laughs) Thank you again. I want to really thank my right honourable friend for his support 
for the Early Years Healthy Development Review, and in particular for the half a billion of new money at Spending Review last week. My right honourable friend often says that talent is spread equally across our country, but opportunity is not. So does he agree with me that giving every baby the best start for life is the best possible way to level up across our country? Yes, I, I thank because I've listened to my right honourable friend over many years uh, on this issue, and she is 100% right in what she says uh, by what she says about uh, the importance of, of early years, and that's why we're investing. £500 million to support families and children, including £82 million to create a network of family hubs to bring together services for children of all ages. And we're going to continue, Mr Speaker, to invest in children's early years. For example, the 15 hours of early education for disadvantaged two-year-olds that's already benefited 1.1 million disadvantaged kids since 2013. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I was recently contacted by a Vauxhall constituent whose mother tragically committed suicide after criminal domestic abuse by her husband, with the inquest into her suicide finding his actions to be a direct cause. Incredibly, her abuser now stands to inherit her pension and entire estate because she was unable to complete divorce. This has left the family devastated, and I'm sure the whole House will join me in sending them our condolences. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that convicted domestic abusers should never be able to profit from the crimes of their victims? And will he meet with my constituent and me to fix this hole in the law? Uh, Mr Speaker, she describes a truly tragic and, and appalling case, and I'm sure the whole House will share the uh, revulsion that, she, that she's expressed at the, at the outcome of the, of the law's processes. Uh, I think we will certainly uh, need to have a meeting in order to see what we can do to address uh, this loophole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NHS staff performed magnificently in the pandemic, but there are now severe shortages in nearly every specialty. So will my right honourable friend support an amendment to the health bill backed by 50 NHS organisations, every Royal College, to require Health Education England to do regular independent forecasts of the numbers of doctors and nurses that we should be training so that we can reassure people, despite the pressure today, we are at least training enough doctors and nurses for the future. Uh, Mr Speaker, my, my right honourable friend is absolutely right that we've got to make sure our NHS has the, the staff that it, that it needs, and that's why there are 50,000 more, uh, more healthcare professionals in the NHS this year than there were last year, uh, 12,000 more nurses, Mr Speaker, and, 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 and in addition, there are 60,000 nurses, 60, nurses in training. Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, some, uh, uh, somebody asked opposite, why are there waiting lists? Because we've been through a pandemic, Mr Speaker. And, and, and what we're doing is fixing those waiting lists, fixing those waiting lists with £36 billion of investment, which that party opposite voted against, Mr Speaker. Martin Day. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's a little over a year since I last challenged the Prime Minister over his campaign promises to the 1950s-born woman, in which time he has done hee-haw about their pension injustices. So can he tell me today... Does his government have any plans to deliver justice for the women involved? 
Uh, Mr. Speaker, this is a very difficult issue, as the whole House knows. In the, in the case of the Waspy women, is, is not easily uh, addressed, uh, as, as, the, as, the, as the honourable gentleman knows. The, the expenditure involved is very considerable, and the tax that would have to be raised uh, would be very considerable. But we continue to reflect on all the options uh, to ensure, uh, they ensure that people across this country get fair pensions. Jill Morton. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As a mother, I cannot begin to imagine the pain and torment of losing a child. Richard Lee, a constituent of mine and veteran who served with distinction in the British Army, has been living with this pain every day of his life since the 28th of November 1981. On that day, his daughter, Catrice Lee, went missing from a military shopping complex near Paderborn in Germany. It was Catrice's second birthday, and her family are still searching. The 40th anniversary of Catrice's disappearance is coming up at the end of this month, which will undoubtedly be an exceptionally painful event for the entire Lee family. Would the Prime Minister please agree to meet with Mr Lee father to father and reassure him that Catrice has not been forgotten? Yes, I I thank my honourable friend for raising this absolutely tragic case, and I know that the thoughts of the whole House will be uh, with Catrice Lee's family. And, uh, of course... Uh, Mr Speaker, I will agree to my honourable friend's uh, request and uh, meet Mr Lee father to father. So agree. The Epilepsy Society is a charity and world-leading research centre based in my constituency. They started the Epilepsy Climate Change Initiative to better understand the effects of global warming on epilepsy, and the impact is already clear. A recent survey showed that in hot weather, 62% of those whose seizures were uncontrolled experienced an increase in seizure frequency or severity. Will the Prime Minister join me in endorsing the Epilepsy Climate Change Initiative and commit to more funding to research the impact of climate change on human health? Uh, I thank the Honourable Lady for her question. She raises a very interesting uh, aspect of research into epilepsy. We're funding uh, epilepsy research with with, uh, uh, another £54 million uh, over the, the last few years, and uh, this issue that she raises of any particular link uh, between hot weather or climate change and epilepsy is certainly one uh, that we will be going into. Elliot Colbert. Speaker, last week an independent inquiry into Lib Dem run Sutton Council's own heat network found that it was set up on false assumptions, including funding that was never attained and homes that do not exist. And now my constituents are going to be left footing the bill. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this latest failure shows that they are just not fit to govern and that those responsible should go? Well, Mr Speaker, it's not the first time that uh, the Lib Dems have campaigned on homes that don't exist or never exist. Uh, if, I remember, if I think of their campaign in Cheshire and Amersham, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, but I will certainly look into the matter that he raises. Bob Longfield. Mr Speaker, in a recent ITV interview, the Prime Minister was asked about my constituent, Jenny Garrett. Now, Jenny is a victim of the cladding scandal. Just before last Christmas, her building was evacuated because of safety concerns. She's been forced to pay £5,500 for awaking watch and alarms. She has to find £1,200 a year for car parking she can no longer access. The work needed to make her building safe is being blocked by the actions of her freeholder. She doesn't know the cost she'll face, but it's estimated at thousands of pounds. Yet, in his interview, the Prime Minister said Jenny had, quote, a frankly unnecessary sense of anxiety. So will he meet her 
to hear why she's worried and do so, do so before the Building Safety Bill completes its passage through the House. Yeah. I'm afraid to say the, the, the Honourable Gentleman, I have every sympathy with his constituent, Mr Speaker, and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I certainly do. That, well, what I, Mr Speaker, uh, I, I have every sympathy. I have every sympathy, but what I think is unfair is that people uh, such as her are placed in a position of unnecessary anxiety about their homes when they should be, when they should be reassured. And I think it is, I, I sympathise deeply uh, with people who have to pay for, for waking watches and, uh, and other such things. I think, it is, I think it is absurd. I think it is absurd, Mr Speaker. But I think what, what people should be doing is making sure, is making sure that we do not unnecessarily undermine the confidence of the market and of people of, of, uh, in, in these homes, because they are fundamental. They are not unsafe. Many, many millions of homes are not unsafe. And he should have the courage, Mr Speaker, to say so. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the new Police and Crime Commissioner for the West Midlands has chosen to cut back on stop and search in the West, across the region. Can the Prime Minister confirm that while stop and searches must be proportionate and not discriminatory, they remain an important part of keeping our streets and our communities safe? Yes, yes Mr Speaker, I certainly agree uh, with that. And uh, it was a point that I raised recently with the Labour Mayor of London. We, we agreed on many things. Uh, we, 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 he, he was very much out of line with the current Labour policy on, uh, on lockdown, for instance. Uh, but he did certainly I, certainly... I certainly thought that he was wrong about, about stop and search. And we need to make sure that stop and search is part of the, uh, the armoury of uh, police options when it comes to stopping knife crime. If it's done sensitively and in accordance with the law, I believe it can be extremely valuable. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, we can save the UK taxpayer £200 million and level up South London's health service. St Helier Hospital is set to lose its A&E, maternity, intensive care, children's service, renal unit and 62% of beds to healthy, wealthy Belmont at a staggering cost of £600 million. But there is an alternative. Rebuild St Helier where health is poorest and save £200 million. Now, it's not my job to help the Prime Minister sort out his budget, but wouldn't this be a good place to start? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, we are, we are investing in 48 uh, hospital, new hospitals and, and rebuilds. And what is her job? What is her job, quite frankly, is to vote for £36 billion of investment in the NHS, which will, which will allow us to take our health services forward. Why wouldn't she do that, Mr Speaker? Robert Jembrick. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I commend the Prime Minister on his diplomatic efforts in recent weeks and ask him about another serious and grave issue that was raised at the G20 in Rome, the strong likelihood of a nuclear-ready Iran within a matter of weeks yeah, or months. Yeah. What is the UK going to do with our international partners to tackle that? If it is via an agreement, will it be stronger and more enduring than the last one? And if it's not, as many people suspect, what is our plan B? Here, here. 
uh, Mr. Speaker, that I think it's in the interest, overwhelming interest of the. And this is what we. I uh, thank him very much for his question. He is an issue he knows a great deal about. This is, uh, this is uh, a case of making it clear to the Iranians that there is an opportunity for them to do something that I think would be massively in the interests of their people and of Iran, which is to come back to the table and do a, a, a further agreement, a son of, uh, of JCPOA, restore the JCPOA at the Vienna talks. That is what uh, needs to happen. That is the posture of the uh, of the G20 and indeed of, uh, of our friends and allies around the world. Okay. Vicky Foxcroft. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The universal credit cut is already hitting people hard. Mm. Yeah. Even before the challenges of the pandemic, 39% of children in my constituency grew up in poverty. Mm. Now, Debt for First, a local charity I chair, has launched a fundraising campaign to support people through the winter months. The Prime Minister is well known for his abilities to attract wealthy donors to the party. Um, will he use those skills to boost our campaign? Or even better, will he cancel the cuts? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, what we've done with Universal Credit is abolish, uh, abolish the, the, the old system that unfairly taxed people on Universal Credit. And, and helped people uh, with a £1 million tax cut because what we on this side of the House believe in is rewarding work, Mr Speaker. That's what the people of this country want to see. That's why we've put the tax cut on, on, on those who are on universal credit. That's why we're lifting the living wage, Mr Speaker. And never, what's their policy on, on universal credit? No, 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 it's not, it's not nothing. They want to abolish universal credit, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Mayor of London is refusing to rule out the so-called Outer London Charge, which would apply to all vehicles registered outside Greater London across the Greater London boundary. Now, this would have terrible consequences for my Orpington constituents and, indeed, those people who live in the neighbouring constituency of Old Bexley and Sickup. Now, Louis French, the excellent local candidate for the by-election, yeah. has pledged to fight this appalling proposal. Would my right honourable friend join me in wishing Louis French luck with this and to ensure that this silly move from the Mayor of London is stopped in its tracks. I certainly do uh, agree, I agree with my honourable friend, who, who, who is an old friend of mine, I've worked closely with him in, on London issues for many years, and uh, I, know where, I know where Labour's instincts are. Uh, they always want to put taxes up, uh, particularly, uh, particularly on, on motorists. And I think, uh, I, think a I think a checkpoint Chigwell uh, would hit working families, Mr Speaker. And what the Labour Mayor of London needs to do is get a grip on, on TfL's finances and stop whacking up the taxes on ordinary people in, our, in the capital city. Uh, I'm very grateful, Mr Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister is very much aware of my constituent, Jagtar Singh Johal abducted by plainclothes officers while shopping with his new wife in the city of Jalandhar, Punjab, on the 4th of November. The intervening years, Mr Speaker, have seen allegations of torture overlooked and ostensibly strong words from his government about the case overshadowed by excitement over a trade deal with the Republic of India. Therefore, Mr Speaker, as we approach the fourth anniversary of Jagtar's arrest tomorrow, with no charges having been brought in the case by the Government of India, would his Government be able to grant the smallest of favours to Jagtar's wife and his family in Dumbarton and declare his detention an arbitrary one? Yeah. Yeah. 
Mr Speaker, I, I th thank him for the campaign that he's been running for Jagtar Singh for a, a long time. And what I would say to him is that uh, our, the closeness of our relationship with India uh, in no way diminishes our willingness to raise that case with the Government of India. And indeed, my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, raised it only uh, the last time she was in India. Final question, Ruth Edwards. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Unlike the party opposite, I welcome the record investment in the NHS announced in the budget. Now, will my right honourable friends support my campaign for a new health centre in Rushcliffe, in the village of Eastleek, where the current building is no longer big enough to serve the current population and they will soon need to accommodate 3,000 new patients from new building. I'm sure my right hon. the Health Secretary will uh, do his utmost uh, in, the, in the course of the, the coming decisions to oblige uh, my friend in her campaign, a justified campaign uh, for Rushcliffe and, and its hospital. But, Mr Speaker, how incredible uh, that the Labour Party should continue to catcall uh, and, and uh, attack the government when uh, they voted against the tax rising measures that are necessary that are necessary to fund our NHS. They are completely inconsistent, Mr Speaker. They have absolutely no plans and no idea.